Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. We want you to know that during COVID, we're holding one big service outdoors and we'd love for you to join us whenever you can. And now, here's our teaching for this week. We hope it leads you to encounter the way of Jesus more fully. Hi, everybody. If you don't know me, my name's Britt. I'm one of the pastors here at Sunridge, and you're listening or watching a pre-recorded message of uh, what I'm going to be teaching on Easter Sunday. Even though uh, typically we don't uh, record that message, uh, if we're meeting outdoors, uh, for a uh, sunrise service. And so uh, we wanted to make sure that people that just couldn't uh, get themselves out of bed uh, early for that uh, want, at least got to hear what we talked about on that Sunday. But I hope that uh, most of you are just watching this either because you're looking for a church or uh, you know you just wanted to hear the message over again and you were here. It's going to be great. Uh, we're going to be meeting at 6.15 on Easter morning and watch the sun rise. Also, uh, if you're watching or listening, I want to let you know that we are moving back into our building on April 18th and we'll, uh, we'll move our service time to 10 a.m. for that and uh, we'll still have an outdoor uh, venue for people that aren't ready to go back in the building, but uh, April 18th is our move-in day and we can still use volunteers. So if you have not signed up, uh, to help us re-enter or reoccupy, then uh, please take an opportunity to do that right away because uh, we want to make sure that uh, we provide the very best care and ministry for our children and all the other things that are included in, in moving in the building. I'm going to be reading um, today from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, beginning in verse 1. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. You know, the New Testament doesn't provide us with specific details of Jesus's actual resurrection. Instead, we have eyewitness accounts of the accomplished fact of the resurrected Christ. So we have no specific account of the manner of how Jesus rose from the dead. Instead, we have a record of how his resurrection was discovered, who was there to discover it, and what was said to them. And remarkably, all four gospels give a consistent account 
of what happened there with the different perspectives that would come with any event and the telling of eyewitnesses. And Matthew's gospel, which we just read, of course, uh, Matthew tells us that at dawn on the first day of the week, this is why Christians meet on Sundays, several women went to the tomb of where Jesus had been laid. And they knew the location of where Jesus had been buried because in Matthew 27, he tells us that they had seen Joseph and Nicodemus place the stone over his tomb. And now that the Sabbath is over, these women are returning to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus, as was the cultural. And then there's an earthquake and an angel appears and rolls away the stone. And this so terrifies the Roman guards that are there that they fainted, but not the women. So we're gonna talk about them first, but in this Easter morning, resurrection morning message, I wanna talk about four things. I wanna talk about the Marys and the others. I wanna talk about being afraid yet filled with joy. I wanna talk about going and telling. And fourthly and lastly, worshiping the risen Lord. So number one, let's talk about the women, which includes the Marys and the others. These are the first eyewitnesses to Jesus's resurrection. And it gets a little confusing about who's at the empty tomb. And that's all complicated by the fact that number one, Mary or Miriam in the Hebrew is one of the most common names of the day. And which is why often you see additional ID being provided Uh, with the name Mary, like the mother of, the sister of. And it's further complicated by the fact that James and Joseph, which are one, which is one way of identifying a Mary, are very common names as well. And it's possible that we may even have more than one Mary who had sons named James and Joseph. If I haven't confused you already, hang with me, you'll be even more confused. If we view uh, this occurrence uh, of the crucifixion and the resurrection accounts, there could have been as, as many as five different Marys present. And if we mash those various accounts together that mention both the women at the crucifixion and or likely at the tomb of Jesus, we find, first of all, the Marys. There's Mary, the mother of Jesus. She's mentioned in John's gospel. There's Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There's Mary, the wife of Clopas, who's mentioned in John. And according to the historian Eusebius, Clopas is the brother of Joseph, which makes this Mary Jesus's aunt. And then there's the Mary, which is simply called, who is simply called the other Mary, like in Matthew here, kind of a bummer to have that as your, uh, you know, subscript. Then uh, not really a Mary, Salome uh, is mentioned in Mark and Salome is the mother who came to Jesus asking for a place of prominence for in heaven for her sons, James and John. And then there's Joanna, who is definitely not a Mary, who's mentioned in Luke. And she is the wife of Chusa, uh, the manager of King Herod's household. She's wealthy. And along with Susanna, she financed Jesus's ministry. But then most, excuse me, prominently and significantly, I might add, is Mary Magdalene. When Jesus first met her, she's suffering from an illness caused by up to seven demons. This could be actual literal, literally the case, or um, 
it could be used euphemistically as she had the most severe illness of all and there's no helping her. Either way, Jesus heals her, gives her new life, and she joins him as a disciple and she's prominent. Given her history, Mary Magdalene, her lack of pedigree and the fact that she's a a woman, her prominence is all the more remarkable. She is mentioned in all four of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In fact, Mary Magdalene is mentioned 14 times in the gospel, and that is actually more than many of her male disciple counterparts. So it's impossible to over-exaggerate the role women play in the narrative of the resurrection, this most important event in Christianity that we're celebrating on resurrection morning. Because when we think of women in the first century, there's no person lower in the social structure of that day. A woman has no power, no rights. She's incapable of owning anything, including even property that comes from her family. And in fact, in the first century, a common rabbinic prayer was this, I thank God that I am not a dog and I'm not a woman. A woman's testimony was not accepted in court. Not even the testimony of multiple women, which is likely the reason that many of the disciples, the male disciples, did not at first believe them when they came and told them of Jesus' resurrection. So think about this. The first persons to the tomb are women. The first people the resurrected Jesus interacted with are women. The first persons given the great commission to go and preach the gospel are women. Is that a coincidence? Maybe, if you think that God deals in coincidences, or do you think that it's possible that the Bible and certainly Jesus was sending a message? The message later echoed by the Apostle Paul as well when he writes in Galatians 3.28, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all Christians. You are one in Christ Jesus. You know, the Bible is written in the background of patriarchy, but often it is subversive to that. And the role of women in the ministry of Jesus and their prominence in the resurrection are just two examples of how the gospel smashed the barriers of race and class, position, and gender. By the way, if you're a skeptic even of the New Testament account, of the resurrection, this is one subtle example of how people did not conspire to make up a story about this thing that happened because no one in the first century would have ever chosen women to play this part in the story. Yet here we are. Number two, let's talk about being afraid yet filled with joy. Do you know what the number one commandment in the Bible is? The most common instruction or order in the Bible is not be good, be holy, or don't sin. One of the most common commands in the Bible is fear not or do not be afraid. And the irony is that that might be the most difficult command of all to obey. More than don't kill, don't lie, or don't steal. I imagine that most of you that I'm talking to right now haven't committed any of those this week. But what if I asked you this week, were you worried? Were you overcome by anxiety? Did you have a hard time sleeping? 
this week because of things that you were concerned or fearful about. See, as much as we love hearing the words, fear not, do not be afraid, the truth is we are going to be most challenged to do them. I mean, how do you stop fear? Matthew tells us that the angel who appeared said to the women, do not be afraid. Given the circumstances, easy for him to say, wouldn't you say? And then later, as they hurried from the tomb, I love this, they were afraid but filled with joy. Afraid but filled with joy. At first you think that those two can't even dwell together, but here they are. And I love this description of what they were feeling because I can relate. Maybe you can too. I mean, in this description, to be afraid but filled with joy, it seems we have three choices when it comes to fear. Number one, we can be afraid with no joy. Number two, we can have joy with no fear. And number three, we can be afraid yet filled with joy. All three are possible. For example, afraid with no joy. That's not fun. We all know that and we've all been there. It's like being surrounded by sharks without a surfboard and no waves. Or it's like teaching your adolescent to drive, to be afraid with no joy. I realize that there are much more serious things uh, to consider under this idea of being afraid with no joy because uh, you know, in, in our culture today, many, many people are overwhelmed by anxiety and worry and we're medicating it in, in therapy because of it. It's a real, real problem. We know about that. Number two, to have joy with no fear. I mean, do we even need to talk about that in those moments when we have it? We love it, right? It's like day three of a two-week vacation. No fear. Pure joy, right? Well, maybe a little fear of when the credit card bill is going to show up. But number three, to be afraid yet filled with joy. What is that? It's like being on a roller coaster, right? It's like dropping in solo on a little too big but perfectly shaped wave. It's like your first interior attack as a firefighter. It's like having your first child or going through the adoption process for your first adopted child. It's like teaching your first class as a newly hired teacher or your first time serving in children's ministry. It's like completing your final in statistics, but knowing that you studied and you were ready to be afraid yet filled with joy. See, in each, there's almost a natural response of fear for all kinds of reasons, but you also naturally have joy associated with that fear because number one, something makes the risk worth it right? Your sights are set, even though you're anxious, even though you're fearful, your sights are set beyond that temporary stress. There's a prize at the end that makes it worth it. Or number two, you're trusting in something much more solid than your anxiety or fear, your training, your study, your preparation, or your knowledge. The women's reaction here Afraid yet filled with joy is surely a very natural response. Their Lord's body is gone. An angel appears. Even the big, brave, well-armed Roman soldiers are shaking in their boots 
And then they have this task to go and tell, and they must be thinking, well, men aren't going to listen to me. We're just going to feel ridiculous. But then they have to be reminded that Jesus said this would happen. And right there, an angel before them is explaining the whole situation. So they run to this assignment. Can't you just sense both their fear and their joy in doing so? To feel fear and yet run to the thing is something the resurrection gives us as believers confidence to do. I know I'm going old school on you, but there used to be a song by uh, the Bill Gaither trio. The words go like this, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth living just because he lives. Isn't it true that the gospel gives us joy even in the midst of fear? See, because of the resurrection, we no longer have to run in fear. We can run with fear. We can be afraid yet filled with joy. Because we stand on something so solid, nothing can shake it. As Jesus proved, not even death. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is risen. Now, speaking of fear and joy combined together, let's talk about the third thing, go and tell. The angel says, go quickly and tell his disciples he is risen from the dead. So they ran to tell his disciples. And then Jesus said to them on the way, go and tell my brothers. You know, if you're a Christian, you have the most remarkable news for the world. And Jesus has said that we are to salt and light the world with that news, both by living it out and sharing it, by telling it. But let's be honest. When's the last time that you actually did that? I mean, isn't it true that it's easy to passionately share our views on sports and politics, education, the economic system, immigration, guns, race, even the Bible. We're Semper Fi on all of those. And it's not that none of those matter. Of course they do. But did Jesus ever tell us or command us to go and tell about them? Jesus said to go and tell them that I am risen. And they did. And we have new life because they did. And on Easter morning, on Resurrection Sunday, we are going to be celebrating because they did. The question is, who will be celebrating in the future because we did? In his book, Cold Case Christianity, a former homicide investigator, J. Warner Wallace, talks about becoming a two-decision Christian. I love this. I'm going to read this section to you. Each of us has to answer God's call on our lives as two-decision Christians. If you've already decided to believe the Gospels, take a second step and decide to defend them. Become a case-making Christian. Work in your profession, live your life faithfully, devote yourself to the truth, and steadily prepare yourself to make a defense for what you believe. Isn't it true that 
the resurrection of Jesus is the most life-changing thing to happen to us. Where would you be, where would I be, were it not for the grace of God exemplified by the resurrection of Jesus? So go and tell. And I know that some of you are saying, but Britt, people won't respond. I'm afraid that people will think I'm weird. I'm just afraid to do that. Okay, so be afraid. And yet go filled with joy. Last, fourthly, let's talk about worshiping the risen Lord. Matthew tells us that while the women were en route to share the good news, Jesus meets them. And in verse 9, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said, and they came to him and clasped his feet and worshiped him. Clasping Jesus' feet is a Mary Magdalene signature move. It means to seize with all your strength. It means to seize and hold on to. It's like if you're a Sunridger, a Patricia James hug. To worship him, as, as said here, is more than to sing a song or to raise a hand or even to dance. It means to fawn over, to prostrate yourself, to kiss. It can even mean to lick like a dog licking his master's hand. Why in the world would we ever worship like that? Well, let's stop and think about that just for a moment. What difference does the resurrection of Jesus make in our lives? I mean, when we gather on Sunday morning, on Easter morning, aren't we there because of the resurrection? Your church gathers on the first day of the week every Sunday morning because of the resurrection. Because of the resurrection, we have the Bible that we read. Because of the resurrection, there's Christianity. And faith is null and void without the resurrection. The Apostle Paul said that. Because of the resurrection, sinners are forgiven and called the children of God. Because of the resurrection, God's existence, his power and his love for humanity are proven. We are God's family brothers and sisters in Christ for eternity because of the resurrection. You know, when we gather, we don't do so just to learn from the Bible or to see our friends or to serve our church, but we gather to worship. Sometimes I wonder, like when people say, well, why should I go to church? Or when, you know, like it just seems like church is not part of a Christian's life in a consistent way and passionate way, it's like we gather to worship. So let's drill down just a little closer to home. The resurrection or the resurrected Lord's presence in your life is likely making all the difference in your life as a Christian. For one, look where you are on this Sunday morning. Look at who you are and who you're wanting to become. What's influencing you today about the kind of dad you are or the mom or employee or business owner or coach or counselor, teacher, neighbor, boss, coworker, student? The resurrection is affecting every part of us. You know, the way of redemption was carved out by the son of God himself. And Jed 
uh, taught us that in, this, in his very first message on this, that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. And we are all on the way of redemption because of Jesus. Because 2,000 years ago, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And Jesus' execution on the cross was not a misfortunate occurrence. Instead, it was the evidence of the intentional and eternal plan of God to redeem humanity. It stands as the ultimate proof of God's love and his power. And Jesus' resurrection was a declaration of how God is ultimately victorious over sin, death, and brokenness. That's why we worship. He is risen. Now, if you're listening to my message or watching the, on Vimeo and you're, you're skeptical or you're new to Christianity and I've talked so much about the resurrection and that's just like mind-boggling to you, I want to leave you with a resource. I've mentioned it before, often here at Sunridge. It's a book titled Christianity for People Who Aren't Christians. It's written by James Emery White and if you're just exploring faith, I want you to read that book. It's available on Kindle. You can buy it on Amazon or however you, you get uh, your books. It's an easy read. It's not, it's not um, you know, like super technical, but it, it gets to the essence of Christian faith and why there's evidence that underpins that, that girds it up. So take, take advantage of that and read that book. Let's pray. God, thank you for the incredible, remarkable, miraculous resurrection of Jesus. We know that our faith stands upon it and our lives are built on it as a firm foundation. We celebrate that and uh, not just like in a whoop-de-doo kind of way, but like we deep down in our hearts, we're just filled with the gratitude of the transformation that you're making in us through that. And that our faith is built on something so miraculous and solid. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. He is risen. We'll see you soon. Hey, everybody. It's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need help with something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. Or if you'd like to know more about us, just go to our website, sunridgechurch.org, and you'll know what to do from there. We hope you'll listen in again next week, but in the meantime, wherever you go, deepen faith, bring hope, and live love.